Well, uh, hope everybody had a wonderful Turkey Day and uh, had a chance to uh, spend time with your families. I hope none of you went shopping on Thursday. Man, I worked retail for too many years to ever go shopping on Thanksgiving. I just feel horrible for this. If you had to work, I'm, I'm sorry if you had to work Thursday. That's horrible. But uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right in this morning. We've got quite a bit of ground to cover, so I don't want to uh, waste any of our time. We've got some opening verses here we're going to look at um, per our usual kind of uh, layout of studying the scriptures. This morning, uh, we, we know that typically, you know, uh, we're in kind of an area of the country where lots of people like to go visit family, right, this weekend. So we knew we were going to probably have uh, some people missing this morning. So my goal this morning is really not to preach at you as much as I really want to look at the scriptures together this morning and try to, uh, as best as I can, wrap up our series uh, that we've been doing kind of over the last... Uh, 10 or so weeks. So we're going to look at some verses this morning and then we're going to jump back to Acts chapter 2. But before we get to Acts chapter 2, let's just read these verses. This is Psalm 127. 1, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, or those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 this is Jesus speaking. He says this. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Catch this, please. And on this rock, I will build my church. Everybody say, I will build my church. All right, you're awake this morning. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus, the Bible says, unless God builds something, it's not worth building. Amen? It's, it's, it's vanity. It's vain. And then he says, Jesus identifies what he's building, and what is he building? His church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 25-27. 1 Corinthians 12, it says that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice Together, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And last but absolutely, certainly not least, Psalm 122, verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm going to read that one one more time because that's a good place for you to say men if you're happy you're here today. But Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. There we go. Okay, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that God, your word, the Bible, is not dead and passive. It's not just a collection of happy sayings. It's not just a, a, a booking, a grouping, a codex of, of good thoughts. But Lord, that your word, the Bible, is literally your word to us. And we rejoice and rest in the fact that we know that you are faithful to speak to us through your word. So we come to you this day in, in, a, in a familiar mix of humility and boldness, God. Humility knowing that unless you speak to us, we're not going to hear anything from you. God, you, you are in control of whether or not you speak to us. So God, in that sense, we come quite humbly asking 
would speak to us, that you would just come and, and deliver your word to our hearts, that you would deliver your message to us, that you would speak and give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and feet to walk it out. And God, in that same humility, we ask boldly that you would do this. God, knowing that you're a faithful God, true to your word, and you say if, if we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So God, we've drawn near to you as we've worshipped you. We've drawn near to you as we've sung to you. And so now, God, we rest in the assurance of your word that you will speak to us, that you will come to us, that you desire us more than we desire you. So God, we come, we rest at your feet. Come and speak to us, your children, that you might be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So this morning... um, we're actually going to be kind of finishing our series in, in Acts chapter 2. Um, we're finishing it, but we have one more message. <laughs> the reason for that is this. Next week, uh, you, you may see this in your bulletins, I believe, and uh, you heard about it last week. Next uh, Sunday, we're going to be taking up, annually we take up an offering um, that doesn't go to our church. It goes towards an outreach that we do every year at Christmas time just to bless uh, people. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that later um, and, and what we're, our plans are uh, to do with that. But next week we're going to talk about generosity and that's certainly a part of Acts chapter 2 and, and we, we just wanted to kind of align that a little bit better with what we were doing and, and kind of teach into it uh, on that week. So this week is the last week even though next week will be another week. Clear as mud for everybody? All right, cool. Um, So what I want to do this morning is reach back to the beginning of Acts chapter 2 and then read again the end which we've been reading each week. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we have the the beginning, the birthplace, if you would, of the church. That's the moment the church was birthed. Jesus promised in in, uh, in Matthew 16, verse 18, right, that he was going to build a church. Amen? That was a promise. He said, I will build my church. And, and then we see here in Acts 2, verse 1, the beginning of that, the start of that, the, the, the very introduction where we see, okay, here he is birthing his church. So we see then... We looked at this in weeks gone by. We see Peter stand up and preach the gospel. And those who, who uh, the Lord was opening their heart respond to the gospel, thus proving his work in their life. And they give their lives to Jesus, as some would say. They are reconciled back to him. They're regenerated. Come on, somebody. They repent. They're baptized. And we pick up the story, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Or 42. <laughs> 42. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's read verse 47 again. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Catch this please. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's our bookends for chapter 2, right? Here's our bookends for the, the, the first fulfillment of uh, the, the reality of what the Bible says God is building in the earth, which is, come on somebody, what is it? The church. So I want us to, to look back to the beginning here first because it's, it's something I think that's easily missed, especially if you were raised in the church and you're familiar with this passage. You've probably heard this before and, and it's easy to miss, I think, what is, is mentioned here. And that is this, that they were together, come on somebody, in one place, together, in one place, as they were there, the Holy Spirit filled the entire house and each one of them, come on somebody, had a, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit manifest himself as a tongue of fire that sat on only Peter because he was the only one who was going to preach and he's the only one who needs the Holy Spirit. Is that what happened? Well, let's talk this morning. Is that what happened? No. They all were filled with the Holy Spirit. They all had a tongue of fire that sat upon the top of their head, each and every one of them, thus proving that the Holy Spirit is not just for preachers. The Holy Spirit isn't just for the platform. The Holy Spirit isn't just for, I'll proceed even further, the Holy Spirit isn't just for ministry as we categorize ministry, but rather the, that God knew there was a fundamental necessity that each and every one of them had that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Notice Peter was the only one later who stands up and preaches, right? He's the only one who gets up and then proclaims the gospel to the crowd that's there. But yet the Bible tells us all of them experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes no distinction about how they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say, well, like, this group got the better Holy Spirit and this group got the lesser Holy Spirit. This group tithed more, so they got a better Holy Spirit. This group tithed less, they got less. No, this isn't Scientology. Come on, somebody. $1,000 and you can get to level 15. Okay, the Holy Spirit fell on them all. Can I suggest to us that the same is true today? That as we worship together, as we gather together as the church, God desires to encounter us all. This isn't just like, well, the hyper-spiritual people get to encounter God. The pastors, maybe the deacons occasionally, and certainly, possibly, like the children's workers, but everybody else just kind of is here to watch. I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that from my reading here, there's, there's, from my understanding of what's happening here, there's 120 people in a prayer meeting. That in and of itself is a miracle. Quickest way to have a no attendance meeting is to, to announce in a church that you're having a prayer meeting. Everyone's like, yeah, I've got to rearrange my sock drawer. I'll be there next time. No, I promise. Potluck, people show up. Prayer meetings, not so much. But 120 people are gathered together in a prayer meeting. Don't feel too bad. They started out, the Bible says, with thousands, and it dwindled down to 120 40 days later. So 120 crazy people gathered together in a prayer meeting, and the Bible says as they're all gathered together there, the Holy Spirit falls upon all of them. 
He encounters all of them. He, he meets with all of them. I would like to propose to us it's the same today, that as we gather together, he falls on all of us. What I'm shocked at is this. There was no spectators. Nobody in that meeting, nobody in the first church service, if if we're trying to model ourselves biblically as the church, then there is no spectating. The band is not up here to worship for you. We're here to facilitate us worshiping God together. I'm not here to study the Bible for you. I'm here for us to hear the Word of God together. Amen? So we see... Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we see that they they all experienced God together. They all were filled together. He was doing something with all of them. Amen? Amen. I want to suggest to us this morning that part of the, the, the role and why the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them, and this was emphasized, we talked about this quite a great deal when we went through the book of Ephesians, Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to unite us as a church. That the, that the movement of the Holy Spirit happened on all of them because the movement of the Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's ministries to us is to unite us together, to draw us together, and to make us one with Christ, catch this please, and with one another. The Holy Spirit draws us together to Jesus. I don't know if this is somewhat of a review. I've talked about this in a few, a few weeks ago, but when Peter went to follow Jesus, he had to follow Jesus with the rest of the 12 nut jobs. Right? Like, he didn't get to choose. Like, Peter wasn't like, well, I like to follow Jesus, but Matthew is a tax collector. I'm not a fan of his. So I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to hang out with Matthew. That wasn't an option. If, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow Jesus with the rest of the crazies who are following Jesus. Again, can I suggest it's no different today? There is no biblical basis of working out the gospel in our lives in isolation and separation. We are fundamentally called to live out this life of faith with other believers. We're called to be a church together. Part of the unity of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to draw us to Christ and to one another. Amen? When Jesus calls his people out to himself, when Jesus calls people out of the culture, when Jesus calls people out of their sin, out of their depravity, unto himself, fundamentally, there's one Jesus, right? There's not like 47 Jesuses. There's not a, there's not a Baptist Jesus and a Assemblies of God Jesus and a Presbyterian Jesus and a non-denominational Jesus, right? This, uh, this is making me wish I would have queued up the clip from uh, that one movie, the Will Ferrell movie, where everyone likes their Jesus different, right? This isn't that. There is no, like, you don't get to worship baby Jesus and somebody else gets to worship Leonard Skinner Jesus, right? There's one Jesus. And if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him with a bunch of other people who are following him. So we need to understand this idea of following the Lord together in community. This shouldn't be a shock to us because when, when we first see the Lord, right, in Genesis, when we first see God, we see something unique about God even from the beginning where we, see, where we see God in Genesis. God says, let us make man in our image. Right? Does he not say that? Am I, am I talking to Christians? Okay. He's not talking to the angels. 
He's not saying like, hey angels, let's, let's all of us make them in our image. What he's saying is this, let us make them in our image. Us being the Trinitarian nature of God. We believe in a God who is one in character. Come on, amen? Good place to say amen. One in character, one in nature, three in persons. Explain that to me. You can't. Don't try. It's like an egg. No, that's modalism. Well, it's like we should have queued up the, uh, the other video. It would have been great. This could have just been a video Sunday. Right? Like, the, the whole point is this, that God is a mystery. That the character and the nature of God are not, but the, 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 the makeup of God in this three-in-one is not something that we can easily understand. My point, though, this morning is not to unpack the Trinity for us. My point this morning is to try to under, help us understand this, that God in His very nature is a community. We're called together in community. We're, we're, we're built for community. You're not built for isolation and separation. And so therefore, part of the work of the gospel and therefore part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us together into a community. And we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about the fact that we should commit to a body. Amen? That the American model of church hopping is not biblical. That we should commit ourselves to a body. And that is not something we get to pick, but it's something the Lord picks. That he calls us to a people. And when we're there, we ought to commit to those people. On a practical level, that means showing up on a regular basis. Shocker, I know. This guy's legalistic. Yeah, I also think you should eat every day. I love you. So, so we need to understand here that, that we're, we're called to commit on a, on a bigger scale. We, we believe as a church in membership. We believe that you should be a member of a church, that you should make a commitment and say, this is where I'm planted. These are my pastors. These are my elders. These are my peeps. Right? This is my church. And therefore, I will defend it. There I will build it. Therefore, I will serve in it. Therefore, I will submit to it. We then also talked about the fact that we're not just called to commit in some like, like robotic sort of way, but we're also called to connect with one another. We should know each other in relationship, right? We should, you should know the people that are in church. This is super easy for us at this point. I think it's going to get harder as we continue to grow. And we'll jump over those hurdles as we face them. The other piece that I want to try to help us unpack and understand today is this, that we're also called to care for one another. Now, in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we, we see a unique thing that happened in the church in, in Jerusalem at this time. Because of the very nature of the way that, that the gospel was being preached and the church was being built, there was only one church at this point. There was one church in Jerusalem. So therefore, all these people who were there for the festival of Pentecost were all in Jerusalem, and they, they were from other areas, the Bible tells us, and they, they, they experienced conversion, and the vast majority of those who experienced conversion, the Bible tells us, hung out in Jerusalem. I know this is a shock to think about picking your church and letting the church God calls you to choose the city that you live in, but that's the way that they did it. They went, I, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing God's presence here. I'm, I'm being engaged in the gospel. I'm, I'm, my life is being transformed. I'm reconciled to God. The longing of my heart is being fulfilled here. Therefore, I will stay here. And because of that, there was a very 
practical need for those people to be provided for in the meantime while they were finding jobs, employment, and homes. And the Bible says that the church was so committed to one another, so connected with one another, that they cared for one another, even in selling their own property to take care of those in need. Now, we don't see this, and I want to make sure this is clear. We don't see this as a model continuing on in the church. So I'm not calling you all to like sell all your stuff and give it to the guy who doesn't have a job in the church. What I am calling us to do is this, that we ought to care for one another even if it costs us something personal. We should care for one another. The only way you can care for one another is if you're committed and connected. Amen? So we care. So we're committed in membership. We're connected in relationship. And we ought to care in true, genuine fellowship. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us is honored, when one of us has good things going for us, we all rejoice and celebrate. Amen? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to help us understand this. Because the other side of what I want us to see is this. So you're going to 1 Peter 2. I want to just real quick grab back the end of... Leave that up there. But I want, to, I want to remind us of something. That the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord added to their number daily. I want to try to connect that if I can for us. That God's adding to their number, and he says he's building a church. Grab hold of those two things, and let's read these verses. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Can I get an amen from anybody who's tasted that the Lord's good? Amen. Amen. Preaching to the right people. Verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's look at this here this morning. This is where I want to spend the rest of our morning. I want us to get something. I want us to grab a hold of something. God desires to build a glorious house for himself. Don't have time to go down that road too much this morning. Think I've well worn that in our church, that God is building the church for himself. God's building a church for his glory, for his purpose for his name, and for his renown. Amen? So God's building this, and the building that he's building, he's not building with bricks and org charts. Right? Like like Jesus is not building his church with the, the beams and the structures and the siding and the insulation and the sound system or even the organization and the 501c3 license and the structural organization of the church. Rather, the Bible says he's building it with people, that you are the building material of the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
That, is that not what that just said? He said? He's building a church. Jesus is the living stone. And when we come to him, we become living stones. And we're built into a house. I don't want to make too obvious of a statement here. But bricks have to rest on one another to be a building. I know that might seem a little elementary, but I think we, we miss that point when we, when, we, when we read through this. That literally, the, the imagery here is, is if you've seen Middle Eastern buildings, they're rocks that are stacked on top of one another. The church is like this, the Bible says. We are living stones being built on top of one another. When your spot is not filled... That piece is missing. That's what Paul was talking about in Corinthians, where he says there shouldn't be any divisions in the body. Now, unlike modern bricks, and I was actually planning, I'm going to tell you this, I was planning on bringing some bricks, had some bricks beside my house, I was going to like build a little wall up here. It's going to be awesome. Picture it in your head. Isn't that cool? You'd be like, wow, this church is really creative. Here's the problem. In this time frame, in this time in history, they didn't have bricks like we have bricks. And therefore, the analogy would be off, because here's the truth. If we build with bricks the way we build today, do you know why we build with bricks the way we build today? Because if one of those bricks breaks, it doesn't matter. Because we can just go grab another brick that just looks like all the other bricks and put that brick in place. But when you go look at an ancient wall, those bricks, those rocks, those living stones, as he's calling them, the stones that are up there are all different shapes and all different sizes, and they're fundamentally chosen so that they join and fit together one with another. See, your spot that's there is perfectly designed for you to fill that spot, and when you aren't there, nobody else can fit in there, and when you try to fit somebody else in there, it warbles. It wobbles. It shakes. Anybody else's, uh, have, a, have a grandma or a grandpa who, who, when you asked for Legos for Christmas, got you Mega Blocks? Right? Like an idiot, you dumped the Mega Blocks in with the Legos. And every time, you, every time you tried to use a Mega Block with your Legos, it fit, but it didn't fit. So you build up the whole huge thing, and then you like walk away, and it just falls over, and it's all because of the Mega Block. Curse the Mega Block. Except they have the Halo thing, so they have the cool there. It's tough. Right? There is a piece that fits properly. And when the piece doesn't fit properly, come on somebody, things don't work. There's a spot that's built for you and you alone. Now, now, let's tension this, right? Let's not get too far down this road. If the Lord doesn't build the house, it's all for naught, right? But yet the Bible says here that we're called to be the living stones that he's building with. So there is a responsibility to proper response to the Lord in building. And I want to suggest that that is the committing, connecting, and caring for one another. We are built at our very core for this fellowship, for this connectedness, committedness, caring. We're built for community. Let's just put it quite simply, but here's the truth. Because of sin, everything within us tries to rip down the wall. Everything within us tries to get away from, move away from, ruin, wreck, and destroy the community, connectedness, committedness, caring that God's trying to build inside the church. I mean, really, when you stop and you back up and you look at the mission of the church, we're going to get a, a bunch of selfish, sinful, wicked, self-centered, self-righteous, sinful people. We're going to gather them all together. All they want is their own thing, and we're going to try to get on a mission together, all while fixing ourselves in the gospel so that we can move forward, not not have our lives fall apart. No, by the way, we need your money too. 
That sounds like a fun thing to do with my life. (laughs) Is that not what we're called to do? And is it not a miracle when God does it? Here's what I want to look at. Peter here shows us in the beginning of this, chapter 2, verses 1, how to do this. It's not rocket scientists. Not rocket science or scientist. It says, put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, look for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Can I just, can I, can I, can I, can I paraphrase that for us for a second? Because that's beautiful, right? Put off all malice and deceit. That's gorgeous. It's, it's, I love it. Here, let's boil it down. I love it because I can read that and go, amen, and I don't have to know what it means. <laughs> let's unpack this. Let's, let's paraphrase this for a second. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I, I think it's pretty clear what he's saying here. But let, let's, here's what he says. Don't be mean. Don't lie about stuff. Quit wearing masks and pretending you're somebody else. Somebody else. Stop being jealous and wishing you had what somebody else has, their stuff or their life, and, and quit gossiping. There you go. How do, you, how do we unite and be united as a church? Don't be a jerk. There we go. That's a good place to start. Don't try to lie and act like you're better than you are when you're really not that good. Don't try to act like you're not as bad as you are when you really are that bad. Don't wear masks and hide yourself. Be honest and open and transparent with other believers. And and, and by the way, when you do that, you should not envy what somebody else has, but rather be content in what you have and what you've been given by the Father and the position you've been given in the Son. And don't talk crap about other people. This is not rocket science, okay? How do we build this thing together? Peter says, look, God's trying to build a church. He's trying to build you together. So if you want to be able to do this, play nice. That's hard for some of us, okay? Because here's the truth. We're all broken pots, right? We're all crackpots, all of us. Which means we all have jagged edges and we're, we're, we're being told to like, hang out together. So I think here's what Peter's trying to say. You're going to hurt one another by default enough already. Let's not do it on purpose. I don't know how, e- how much easier to put that. I-, I hope that was deep enough for you. That's what, that's what Peter's trying to tell us here. He's saying, look, you, you, you've got to get along. Deceit, ma- malice is just about being mean. Deceit is about making you think that making others think you're not bad when you are. Hypocrisy is about making people think you're good when you're not. Envy is just straight up wanting what somebody else has. Slander is just gossiping about other people. Did you? We don't gossip though in the church, right? We, 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 we ask people to pray for somebody else in the church. That's how we do it in the church. Like, did you hear about Susie? We need to pray for her. Really? Why? There it is. <laughs> and now we're gossiping. called to be built together. Instead, instead, I I love this, he says, be like infants. Now, for Bible college students, and for those of you who are into your Bible, you're thinking about when Peter says we shouldn't desire only milk, but we should grow up into meat, right? Anybody who's studying their Bible, like, wow, 
I don't think I'm supposed to want milk. I'm, 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 I've been a Christian for like six months now. I think I need the meat now. That's why I'm reading Romans, right? That's you. So what Peter here is saying is different, I believe. I don't think he's making the same uh, picture that, P, that, that Paul was making. I think what he's saying is this. Instead of being all mean and hypocritical and lying on each other, what he's saying is we ought to have an innocence about our relationship with one another like an infant does. When an infant is, is brought to its parent, there's an innocence there, right? There's a simplicity there that needs to be there. What Peter's calling us to, and he calls us together as a church, is the simplicity of innocence with one another. That we come to one another in openness and honesty and transparency. That we come to one another with genuineness and realness and just like, look, this is the mess that I make. This, this is my brokenness. This is my beat-upness. And here's why. Because God's building something. And he, he tells us here what he's building. He's building, come on somebody, a spiritual house. Why? This is where we're going to land this thing. Why? I want to show us three things that he shows us in the scriptures as to why God's building. Why is the church being built? Now, let's, let's real quick, the definition of the church that we had, if we can throw that up there, I know I'm not following the proper order. A church is a gathering of those who together experience God's affection and engage God's agenda. Amen? We've spent the last about 10 weeks unpacking that. So what I want to try to do now is show us what we've unpacked. None of this is going to be new. This is all going to be review. So hopefully I can go really, really fast. And the church said? Oh, I hoped you guys wanted to hear a longer. <laughs> Never mind. So he, he talks about here, the Lord's building a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Number one, the, the reason God's building the church is so that he can have a priesthood. Priests are quite simple. We're not talking about the dudes in the robes and the collars. Don't worry, nobody has to wear those. A church where the pastor wears a dress, not going to happen. Okay, love you, not going to happen. Well, they're ceremonial robes. Call it whatever you want. It's a dress. I'm not wearing one. Okay, so, so what we have here is, is, is a calling to be priest. Priesthood is quite simple. Priests do two things. They minister to God for people and to people for God. Can we keep it as simple as we can? That's what they do. They, they, they minister to God for people. They pray to God for people and they present God to the people. We're called fundamentally to do that one for another. We ought to pray for one another. We ought to care for one another. We ought to stand with one another. One of the biggest things I'm celebrating in my heart about what God's doing in Sosa right now is that we finally, for the first time, we've desired this literally in the first notebooks where my wife and I jotted down dreams about what we hoped Sosa would be. One of the things we had was that we would be able to pray for those that gather together as a church every week. I'm so thankful that we now have a, a couple that are, are, are heading up that ministry. If you want to get involved in it, just talk to them. And, and, and we're, we're offering now at the end of service every week, you can come forward and get prayed for. Isn't that a miracle? Shocker that you could go to church and get prayed for. It's great. It's this newfangled thing we're trying out. But we're called to be that. But can I, can I push this a little bit? We can't just go, well, there's prayer on Sunday mornings. That's enough. Well, I'm not a part of the prayer ministry team, so I shouldn't have to pray for anybody. That's just weird. Okay, we've talked about this before. Part of being a church is just embracing the awkward. Okay, like it's just part of the deal. It just comes packaged with it, right? It's like those little popcorn things that they send you from Amazon whenever you order anything. It just comes with it. It's just part of the awkwardness that you've got to deal with, okay? Like you just got to embrace the awkward and realize this. One of the deepest experiences spiritually that I've ever had is when I have brothers and sisters in the Lord that when we're just hanging out doing something completely unspiritual, 
are willing to, to, to pull the e-brake and stop whatever we're doing when they realize I'm going through something and saying, hey, can I just pray for you? That's, that's real stuff, and we have a real God who's really here, so let's really pray to him. One of the worst experiences I have in the church is when I have the similar experience of talking to a believer when they do this. Anybody else have this? I'll pray for you. You're like, liar? <laughs> I'll pray for you. Well, why don't you? I, I will later when you're not around. It's more spiritual that way. No, it's not. We have to pray for one another. We have to care for one another. Now, if we're going to pray for one another, that fundamentally means that we have to be honest with one another and open with one another and be willing to... I'm not talking about just puking on every person you meet. Like, hey, guess what? You know, here's all my horrible stuff that's happening in my life right now. Where are you going? <laughs> all right, cool. Okay, there's a, there's a creepy way to do it. And there's an honest way to do it, right? When you have a relationship with somebody, when you trust someone, when you care for one another, and there's a mutual friendship, and you can say, look, this is, this is really what I'm going through. I've got a two-year-old, and I haven't slept in two years, right? I need prayer. I lost my job, and I don't know what I'm going to do. My marriage is falling apart, and I don't want it to, but it keeps happening, and, and, and my kids are going crazy. And I've got an addiction that I can't get over and I'm trying to do it on my own and I'm realizing that's never going to work. I don't know what your thing is, but I'm talking about being honest with those people that the Lord puts in our lives and puts us in theirs. We ought to pray for one another. We're a priesthood, amen? Second thing, it says that we're called together as a church. He's building a church together. He's building this spiritual house to offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Hebrews 13, 15, we talked about this a while back. The sacrifice that we make, according to Hebrews 13, 15, is the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. How many people are taking a deep, like, letting the air out because you thought I was going to talk about giving money? Like, oh, sacrifice, here it comes. Right? No, the, the sacrifice, the true sacrifice we are called to give as a people is the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. That's what we're called to do. Part of the church's duty is to worship and praise, exalt and magnify God as God, where we look to him and we don't, we don't, we don't put on him things that he's not, but rather we exalt simply who he is. We magnify and exalt. We talked about this for what he has done, for what he is doing, for what he has promised, and certainly, and, and, and above all, just because of who he is. He's holy and he's worthy because he's God. Part of why the church is called together, part of why God is building the church is simply to be a place where God is exalted, magnified, and glorified. Can I get an amen from at least one person? Okay, good. Thank you. I feel better. And last but not least, this isn't directly touched in Peter's passage here, but it is touched as we look through the totality of Scripture in, the, in, in, in relationship to the church, and I, I would be negligent in my duties if I didn't point this out. Part of what the church is called to do. So we're called to, to be a priesthood one to another. We're called to be a place where God is exalted, magnified, and worshipped. Amen? And we're called to be a witness to the world and a warning to hell. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're called to be a witness. When, when, when you walk into a building, come on somebody, you don't look at the building material and awe and be awe-inspired by like, wow, that's really cool. It's really cool pallet wood they put up there. It's amazing. It's really good walls. I really like the way they put the plaster on. 
It's not about the building materials. It's about the builder. We're called together. We're, we're built up together so that the world might look and see a church that is a church and go, wow, God is good. Wow, let's put it even simpler. God's real. This is personally near and dear to my heart because the, the moment where true, genuine conversion happened for me was the moment that I saw a bunch of believers who all looked different, talked different, came from completely different cultures in a, in a community, in an environment, in a city where there was more racial tension than anything I've ever experienced. I, I saw people from different races, different social economic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds come together and under the banner of Jesus in the gospel, love and care for one another. And I knew that was something real. We're called, as we get built together, come on somebody, to be a witness to the world and a warning to hell. It's who we're called to be. So as the Lord, catch this please, this is where we're landing, as the Lord adds to the church, it's not enough, please hear me, to just have a pile of bricks off to the side and hope that someday they connect with what God's doing here. But rather we need to be those who connect one with another so that the house can get built, so that we're not just a pile of bricks. It's not about being a crowd, people. It's about being a church that's built together to be a priesthood to the Lord, to offer up worship and praise that's acceptable to him in Christ and to be a witness to the world and yes, a warning to hell. Amen? So let's stand to our feet. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going we're gonna, to, we, we talked about this earlier, right? What did I say about awkwardness? What do you have to do with awkwardness? Embrace it, right? I'm going to help you with that this morning. One of the things we've done with this series is we've given you a practical step each and every week. Amen? Something we've called you to do. Something we can practically do because, again, we are the church. You is the church. Amen? So you is the church, which means that if we're going to be these things, you have to be these things. So here's what I'm going to call us to do this morning. We're called to do three things as a church. We're going to do all three of them today. Yay! I can tell you're so excited. This is great. So the first one we're going to do is this. The worship team's going to start uh, playing here in a second, as soon as the worship leader gets up there. And, uh, and we're going to worship the Lord together. But before we go into musical worship, what I want us to do is I want us to take a second and, and just with those around you, and you can get as uncomfortable or you can stay as comfortable as you want. If you want to get uncomfortable, you can go invite somebody who you don't know yet to come and be a part of your group. Or if you want to stay comfortable, you can just hang out with the people you know. I'll leave that up to you. Grab a few people around you and let's pray for one another. We're a small group this morning. Let's just be a small group this morning. Let's embrace it. So we're going to pray for one another. You can be as honest or as not so honest as you need to be, as as open, I should say. You need to be honest. Uh, I'm addicted to heroin. Mm, Okay. Let's be be as as transparent as you feel comfortable being and let's just share with one another and pray with one another. We're not going to push this a super long time, so go for it once I let you. And let's just pray for one another. Ask the Lord to move on on their behalf. You don't have to be an expert in prayer or worry about the theology police coming around and like checking on your prayers. Let's just pray for one another. Grab a few people around you and pray for one another. We're then going to worship together. When the band starts singing, that's your cue to be done, okay? <laughs> Land the plane and let's 
gather together. Let's worship the Lord. We'll take communion at that point. You can come forward and, and, and grab a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, as is our norm here, and take communion. We'll have people still up here to pray for you if you do have something that you want somebody to stand with you and pray with you about. And then last but not least, today, I'm asking you today to invite somebody to church with you next week. Let's go crazy. Let's go nutso. And let's invite somebody to come to church. We're called to be a witness. Amen? Simplest way I can help you witness is this. Invite somebody to church. We preach the gospel every week. Amen? Let me pray for us and then we're going to worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you this day for the reality of your working and your building among us. Lord, I I thank you that you are building something, that we don't have to wonder if you're building something. You say, unless you you build it, we labor in vain. And I, I rejoice and celebrate in the reality that we don't have to wonder if you're building, but we can trust that you are. And not only that, we can know what it is that you're building. You're building your church. God, you're building a people that you're calling together to be your priests, to be your house, God, and to be your witness.